Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Should we move on? I think we should. So let's hear the votes from Lithuania. And here are the first points from Lithuania. Maybe have your top points, please. Good evening, Denmark, Europe, and uh, here are the Lithuanian votes. Hello, good evening and welcome to this week's Man on the Post Extra Time. Uh, back from international duty and looking forward to the Premier League this weekend that we've come to know and love and embracing again. Uh, with me this week, I've got Emma. Hi. And I've got Mark. Hello. Whereabouts are you, Mark? I am in Vilnius in Lithuania. There you go. Jet setting James Bond. Uh, this week we should be talking about the Euro qualifiers for the European Championships. Um, we'll touch briefly on those. We'll touch a little bit about Serbia Albania. That was all jolly good fun. Uh, a bit about Chad Evans, which is a bit less fun. And we'll talk about the forthcoming weekend matches as well. So, first of all, we'll cast our minds all the way back to last Thursday. England 5, San Marino 0. Now, our lady on the ground was Emma. You were actually at the match, weren't you? I was indeed. What did you think? I thought it was really boring. Did you? Despite being a 5-0 win, there was... Wembley was just too big and too empty. And despite the fact, yeah, it was, you know, it was five goals, it, it just didn't it didn't catch your imagination. It didn't, you know, it didn't keep you watching. It was sort of, you know, you were looking at your, at your watch to see when it was going to be home time sort of thing. Can I give you an impression of what it was on the t- on, from watching it on TV and you see if you think it's the same or whether you have okay. something different in the ground? I watched it and I thought England were quite laboured and I thought it was going to take something like a mistake, which is what happened for England to score the first goal. Um, and after that, they still looked quite laboured, didn't they? The San Marino keeper had an absolute blinder, I thought. I thought he I, played really well. Yeah, I felt really, really sorry for him because mm. I think he possibly put in the best shift of both teams yeah and I did feel sorry for him that he conceded so many especially in the way he did for a couple of them he was a lot better than than conceding those goals well there's a case to say he was man of the match wasn't there yeah I think he was he had a very very good game but uh, what was the atmosphere like there because this is supposed to be the England team searching for the fans redemption after such a poor world cup isn't it oh it was it was completely flat and it's really sad, but it was completely what I expected Wembley to be. And I don't think that it was... I think the official attendance was 55,000, but I I don't think it was at all. I think if you squashed everyone in and filled every seat up, it may have been just over half full. Was the band there? Yes. I saw them. I didn't... I could hear them, but I don't know where they were sat. I couldn't see them from where I was sat. Um but we, when we came in, we walked around outside and they were doing a performance, I guess. Are you a fan outside. of the band? 
it added something. Without that, I think I probably would have fallen asleep. It did. It did add a bit of atmosphere to it, and and being a Pompey fan, it's nice to go and hear people that actually can play instruments and they're in tune and they don't sound like what the so-called instruments at Pompey sound like. What's that? Just a relentless banging of a drum, is it? Exactly, and a man who's far too drunk to be ma- man in a horn. What? <laughs> he has a trumpet, doesn't he? Oh, right, yes, yes. That's, that's exactly what I thought. Of. Steady on, Sid James. <laughs> Sid James, Emma? No. No, there you go, Mark. You're the old one this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got the impression England played okay without being particularly tested. They did, but I think you expected them to look amazing. Yeah. And they didn't. No, and if you can't look amazing against San Marino... don't know who you're going to look amazing against. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do we think to the game uh, against Estonia? Any better? I didn't really watch it because I was meeting my nephew at the same time. My brand new nephew at the same time. Your brand new nephew? My brand new nephew. So it was a bit... It was in, on in the background, but I didn't have no idea what was going on. And he wasn't interested either? He was 14 hours old. Oh, is he? What's his name? Uh, Daniel. Daniel. Shout out to Daniel. Did you watch it, Mark, the Estonia game? Uh, I watched most of it, yeah. And what did you reckon? Um, well, I mean, Wandel was a bit flattering to Estonia, really. I mean, they weren't a, a much improved, a, a much better level than San Marino, to be honest. But um, I thought England played better in that game. From from the beginning, I mean, by the end, it was a, you know England picked up in the San Marino game once San Marino tired and England got the first goal. But I think um, I think they played a little bit better. I think it was very typical of what you expect of England or and what you expect of England's opposition when it's so in so much inferior. They go out to frustrate England because they know that there's not a whole lot of creativity in that England team. I think they did the right thing playing Lalana because I think. When he came on, when Oxlade Chamberlain came on against San Marino, England became more of a, uh, a a clever team, if you know what I mean. They were more inventive. Uh, I think we just got let down by finishing in the Estonia game. Uh, in particular, Wayne Rooney's finishing, I think, was a little bit off. Otherwise, I think it could have been three or four nil. But you know, international football is is what it is. On the whole, it's very tight. It's very very tactic tactics based you know can, trying to cancel each other out it's a different mentality than premier league games so we sh- you know we we are always constantly surprised how bad england are um but actually if you watch a whole lot of international football a lot of it is very stale and sterile because everybody's too afraid to lose so uh, you know england england would cruise through this group i think we were always fairly confident they were going to do that um so any win is a good win, I think. Just keep keeps everybody ticking along, um, and so nobody hits the panic button if we draw in Estonia. You know, we we won. We should have won by more. We're not bad at qualifying, are we? It's just a bit that comes afterwards. We sort of struggle at. Yeah, and what's and even if we were going to struggle in this group, like we're seeing the likes of Holland and Germany doing at, at the beginning of this qualification, is that because the Euros have been opened up to twenty four teams next time round, you know, you can come. Th- third I think in a group and mm. still qualify you know and that's why the likes of Scotland Wales and Northern Ireland have okay they might be better teams than they have been in the last decade or so but you can see that that extra incentive now is giving them a boost 
to actually go and give, you know, Northern Ireland's winning Greece was fantastic. Germany, uh, Scotland could have beaten Germany the other week. They nearly got a win against Poland and, you know, they got a very good, creditable draw. Wales have started well. So, you know, you're starting to see teams and England aren't much better than Scotland or Wales or Northern Ireland really starting to play um, a lot better. So it's becoming more competitive. Mm. Are we a fan of this um, qualification spread over the three, four days? Have you been watching different teams? Yeah. Yeah. I've been watching it more. What did you watch then? That you, who you probably wouldn't have seen. Um, we've we have the function on where you can watch all the goals. Is that the red so, button on Sky? Yeah, that's good, um, isn't so, it? Yeah, when there's a goal alert, it's how we watch the Champions League as well. So people ask me, like, you know, how would you think that match was? I was like, I don't know, I saw the goal. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we were watching it like that, and it is a lot. It is interesting, and I think, I think the groups are quite interesting this year round. And like you said, there's um, this four years round and they're picking up more there's more interesting results than yeah. I think there has been for a long time I mean Slovakia Spain Slovakia 2 Spain 1 was a great game did you watch that at all no I saw the highlights but I didn't watch the whole thing yeah I mean they didn't get lucky Slovakia at all but like no. you say I mean well they, they took the lead then Spain equalised and then stupidly enough they pushed for the win rather than sit back for the draw and got caught on the break but you're seeing teams and you're seeing games that you wouldn't ordinarily see. It's quite interesting. It might turn people back onto international football a little bit. Let's hope so, because it has, it has in the last... Well, I suppose it always has been, but maybe in the last 20 years, when when a lot of the ex-Soviet or communist bloc countries broke up into different parts, you know, the the likes of Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia, the Soviet Union, who were always good quality teams... You know, that was diluted somewhat when you've got like Belarus and Macedonia and so on and so on. And for a long time, those nations have been so far behind Germany, France, England, Italy, Spain and so on. But now they've it's taken 20 years for them to get their act together. There isn't a whole lot of difference between some of these countries and the traditional big countries now. Mm. Other teams did well, and the home nations. Scotland beat Georgia 1-0, then had a pretty good draw with Poland. I thought they were unlucky in that game. Northern Ireland have won, uh, they've won all three of their games so far, haven't they? They're top of their table. Yeah, brilliant. Had Romania, Finland, Hungary and Greece. Poland are first in their group, Republic of Ireland second, uh, Germany third, Scotland fourth, um, and England top of our group. So all the, conceivably all the home nations could get there, couldn't they? It's very early stages though. Yeah, conceivably, and as we said, you know, you look at, you look at um, somebody like Holland or Germany, who started really badly in this, but in the end, you imagine that they will come through. Yeah, Iceland too. Uh, Holland the quo might get get resumed. Yeah, I think it's interesting as well. These results are throwing up because I mean, people are sort of starting to argue that there should be a pre-qualifying tournament. Well, who do you put in it now? Because traditionally you would put apart from England really maybe not Scotland but definitely Northern Ireland and Wales you would think you would think they would be in a pre-qualifying tournament but if they can produce performances like this surely they're fighting that everyone should have the same qualifying no matter who you are yeah then you look at someone like Gibraltar who have got what a minus 17 goal difference now Mm. and sorry no 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 you sorry you can't so I just I think it will be interesting to see what happens after this tournament, depending where people finish. I think if they all you know drop that back down the ranks and it is the normal 
now going to be 24. I I, I think that it, over time we'll see a lot of a lot of the smaller nations, smaller to medium nations will begin to challenge more. But the likes of Gibraltar and San Marino will always be what they are, just because they, you know, they've got a population of fifty thousand or whatever it might be. But that doesn't that I don't think that that should preclude them for being included and given as much right to qualify and the same opportunities and the same starting point as Germany or Spain or anybody else. You know, they're a country recognised by United Nations and you know they're part of UEFA. They deserve every single advantage or every single. Um, uh, they should be included in exactly the same set of rules and format as as anybody else. Otherwise, as as you said, Emma, when where would where do you draw the line at who should be considered a, uh, worthy of going straight through to a tournament, or or who should be dragged down into a pre pre qualification tournament? Well, the argument for pre qualification is that if you stick San Marino against a bigger team, then all they're going to do is put ten men behind the ball. If you put these teams in a pre qualification, it encourages them to play. Uh, two up front or three up front, as they uh, and those they'll begin to progress to a higher level. The other argument, as well, is Gibraltar aren't a you know they're not a sovereign state. So where do you place them alongside somebody like Kosovo as well, who a lot of people do recognise as a sovereign nation, but of course Serbia doesn't. It's a very murky line as to how far down you go, don't you? Yeah, exactly, and that's why I don't think it will happen because. You know, there's going to be somebody will object and have a good reason for objecting. You know, speaking of Serbia, that brings us nice little onto another segue. Um, Serbia versus Albania. Could we have foreseen this coming? Do you think this was um, uh, the first time the two teams have played each other for? It's a good forty, fifty years, isn't it? And it's definitely the first time they played each other since the the war in Kosovo. Which, if you're um, if you're not aware or you're only a little baby yourself, if you're only were a little Daniel yourself like Emma was, then um, Kosovo is made of 90% ethnic Albanians. They pushed for their own self-determination, uh, fought a war against Serbia for that self-determination. Um, it's the first time the two teams have come up against each other. But interestingly, UEFA have got three criteria to determine whether countries should be kept apart. Uh, have they got normal diplomatic relations? Was there an ongoing military or armed conflict and whether the, t- the request had been made by either National Association not to play? Now, the game descended into uh, farce and then abandonment when flares are thrown on the pitch. Somebody drew, flew a drone with uh, a flag on with Greater Albania and a map of what somebody considered their version of Albania to be, which included Kosovo. Uh, Mitrovic, the third player, tried pulling it down and was attacked by Albanian players. Uh, Serb fans ran onto the pitch and attacked Albanian players with chairs. Lorik Karna thought that Albanian lives were in danger. Uh, their kit was searched after the game. Branislav Ivanovic, the Serb captain, said that the Serbs wanted to carry on and play. Indeed, the, the, the benches came out for Serbia. Uh, the managers came out at some point, but Albanians didn't want to play either in an empty stadium or, or in a replay, according to Ivanovic. It was a hideous event. I mean, you've got, you guys have seen the picture. I saw it live. And for about 10 minutes before, you could see something was happening. You could see trouble in the crowd. You, an Albanian player went to take a corner and had a flare thrown at him. You could sense something was coming. Well, this is what's come out, isn't it? That they believe that the drone was being controlled from inside the stadium. By so the Albanian much, Prime Minister's brother. By So as much as it was meant to be home fans only, you know, where do you draw the line? Do, should you let 
diplomats in, I guess. Well, no, it's not if they're holding the remote control, no. Or allegedly holding the remote control, because apparently he's, he didn't have it found on him. But that was the story at the time. Well, is it was it ever really such a, there's a, a surprise that something like this happened? I mean, um, my I was with, in the house with my wife watching football or something. We were talking about what games were on the television. And, and she's a, a semi football fan knows a bit about everything if you know what I mean uh, and I and I said oh Serbia are playing Albania and even she went Phew. you know she realized that that, that was going to be something iffy and, and and knows the history you know it's so it's kind of it was it was a surprise to everybody uh, sorry it wasn't a surprise to anybody who wasn't involved in that that it was going to be uh, some kind of issue and we know that from in in recent instances that Football, or mainly supporters in the Balkans, is is still a very volatile situation. And we know that, for example, whenever English clubs or clubs with black black players go over there, go over there, there's a degree of racism goes on from the from the crowd. We know, and I know, Chris, you're an expert in in Balkan football. Am I? Uh, that there's still a lot of um, ultras and hooliganism groups that that are involved in in Balkan football. We know that. Even though it's 20 years ago, a lot of those wounds are still raw on all sides. You know, it's not just Serbs and Albanians. There's Croats, there's Bosnians, there's, you know, and it's it's a it's a real proper tinderbox in that area of the world. And UEFA have tended to turn something of a blind eye towards what's been going on there for a long time. Um, and it's got to the point now where I don't know if the national associations there also don't have the have the will or the or the strength to say. Look, you know, we want to be kept apart, and they've just kind of left it to coincidence that eventually, you know, something like this has happened when it's probably inevitable a long time ago. Knowing, knowing, going back again to the history of, of what things were like 20 years ago there. Well, you've had Croatia and Serbia play uh, qualifiers against each other, haven't they, for the World Cup? Yeah. Um, and you could say that, you know, if Stimak and Mihailovic can manage two teams pretty well in a qualifier like that against each other, then there's every reason to believe that. Albania and Serbia could possibly um, play and, and not have uh, not have what happened happened. But it's easy to look back with hindsight, isn't it? But if nobody f- fell into those three categories that um, UEFA stipulate, then you kind of have to let the game to go ahead. They don't let Gibraltar and Spain play, and they don't let Azerbaijan and I think it's Armenia play. So unless any of the specific teams requested it, then UEFA's hands are kind of tied, aren't they? They they are and you're and you're right. If they, if neither association has or the, the circumstances don't fit those criteria that they should be kept apart, all all efforts should be made to to make sure that nothing happens. And for 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 it to kick off like this, you know, how do you how do you smuggle a remote control into a into a game and you know the and flares and things like that if if you're taking all necessary precautions for for nothing to kick off i don't i don't really think that that's possible i just don't think the appetite is there to actually control these fans of or or sections of both sides who are willing to upset the apple cart well the one thing that would kind of make you think they would take it a little bit more seriously this time is both albania and serbia are pushing for eu membership so you would kind of think they would want to keep on side with people like the wafer and show that um their people and their fans have moved on from the last 20 years that maybe they were clamped down a little bit harder on something like this. What shocked me as well was that um, 
relevant, but one of the Serbian ultras, as you said earlier, Mark, he was actually named in the BBC article. Mm-hmm. And that shocked me because you don't, you know, you don't get that in English football. You don't get, oh, you know, John Smith of Manchester United, you know, Manchester United fans was doing this, that and the other. So for him to be named, you know, surely... Yeah, he's a known he's a known character. Sort of... You know, he was he was banned, wasn't he, after some trouble? Um... But, surely, but surely UEFA could enforce, enforce sort of a lifetime ban. Should they not have that power? Because well, I think that's how ultras work, isn't it? You know, you, this this guy's obviously the head or a leading character, one of these ultra groups, who um, therefore has power within a club. We, we we've seen it in Italy many times that the ultras ultras kind of not not necessarily run a club, but they've got a very big say in clubs and and how they work and getting tickets and so on and so on. So this guy, you know, if he's if he's allegedly banned from all stadiums or all international games because of past misdemeanours, you know, if tons of friends in the ground, they're going to let him in because he's, he's influential and he's influential because he's a hooligan or he's the head of a hooligan group, you know. And, and again, this is where it's whether the appetite to actually stop this thing is actually is there. And, it, and I don't really think... In, from what I see of Balkan football, is that there is a great appetite to stop these things going on. In fact, it just it seems to it, it just seems to pick up pace because you know you didn't hear much about it ten years ago, let's say, but now every time a, an English club or a Spanish club or or whoever who might have black players, for example, or we saw the instance when Partizan Belgrade came to Tottenham recently, or the other way around, that there is some kind of incident that that follows these clubs from those countries or and the international teams around everywhere they go. And it just seems in UEFA are powerless or um, probably more don't have the the balls to to impose any proper sanctions. They give them a £20,000 fine or a £10,000 fine. They don't do anything meaningful to, to try and prevent these countries or these clubs in the countries from this type of thing recurring. Okay. Well... We'll move from that happy news across to um, other world news then that we've got. First of all, Chad Evans, if we're keeping it light, he's due to be released soon. And there's, there's a big thing about um, should he be allowed to play for Sheffield United again? A lot of people are saying no, he's a uh, footballer, therefore a role model. He shouldn't have a convicted rapist playing for uh, a club in front of um, impressionable young fans. There's also others who think that he's committed his crime and he's served his time. The Sheffield United board are meeting to discuss it. And whether they should carry on playing again, Nigel Clough has left it up to the board to make their decision. But more than 140,000 people have signed a petition demanding that they don't re-employ Evans. Is there a case for saying he's done his crime, served his time, society should um, let him get on with it? It's hard, isn't it? Because the I'm not saying either way I agree with it, but the logical side of your brain says, well, and it's actually... I disgust myself in saying this, but it's something I agree with Katie Hopkins, who I think is one of the worst personalities on TV. <laughs> but she said, you know, if he was a plumber, you you know, no one would, I don't know, the British Association of Plumbers wouldn't stop him being a plumber. He'd yeah. be able to go and do it. Have you checked that? Have you with them? I don't know. I will ask in future reference. But you know what I mean? You know, yeah. he wouldn't. But on the other hand, you know, should he have the life that he's accustomed to with a football player's wages? You know, it's, I know it's not the same crime. It's a different crime, but it's it's still a bad crime. But the the guy who was playing for Plymouth, I think, who who was driving recklessly and 
killed those two children or whatever, or Lee Lee Hughes. You know, they they've done they've done heinous things um, themselves. You know, okay, they were they were accidents. They weren't like a you know the, a charge like this. But they again through lots of people objecting, didn't want them to be able to to allow to be play football again, professional football. But they have done um, whether that's right or wrong. So is it is it because it's this type of crime that people don't think that Evans should should be able to resume his career because you know he's again he's been to prison for something bad he's done his time in the eyes of the law he's been rehabilitated well he's been he's been punished and now he's back out as you said Emma if he was a bus driver or a plumber or a joiner would would he not be allowed to earn a living ever ever again and you know is it is it a, a written rule now that footballers are role models surely they're just a reflection of society in general well yeah i mean i um i went to watch truer city uh when luke mccormick was playing for them and i didn't feel any particularly disgust watching him play there was some people there were some fans there that didn't really want him there There were some fans there that thought for um you know in under normal circumstances truer city wouldn't have a hope in hell of having luke mccormick playing for them i think he's now club captain at plymouth yeah, when yeah, um, back, he? when Pompey went down there last season, the uh, he was he was playing in goal, but and um and there were chance of murderer going around the ground, which Plymouth fans got very upset about, understandably I guess. But I would have thought if I was a Plymouth fan, I wouldn't want to take my child to go and sit in a stadium where opposing fans take it upon themselves to chant murderer for the whole game. Does that if for, for me if, if I was a Plymouth fan that would affect my opinion and therefore that would affect my opinion of him and I wouldn't want him in my club, despite yeah. the fact yeah I mean he's a, he's a really good goalkeeper and you can't take that away from him and there's no way he's a League Two standard, but he is playing in League Two because of what he's done. If he hadn't done that, I I do believe he'd even be sitting on the bench of a Premier League club, maybe not playing, but he'd be there. No, I think you're right. He's actually not a bad keeper at all, is he? But no, I, I, hadn't, I, I hadn't thought about it from that point of view. When you say that, even if you're a fan of the club he was playing for, you still wouldn't want to go because of what people say. I think that's that's the surprising thing, not just in this case, but in similar things that have gone on before with the likes of Luke McCormack, is whether Chet Evans is a good player, whether you believe he's done his time and he should be allowed to go back and resume normal life again. I think just the controversy that it courts and and everything that then goes on, like like. Um, the way chants and, and you know, c- can you imagine the language and the chanting that's going to go on around around him, whoever he ends up playing for? Would you want to be there? Would you want to take your children to be uh, subjected to that? I- I'm surprised that any club, especially a decent sized club, a big sized club like Sheffield United, are actually entertaining the idea. Uh, it's amazing that I think that some clubs do and don't just think, you know what, whatever we think about what he's done and, and whether he should be allowed to to come back and do and play football again. Do we actually need the hassle? Do we need this problem? Let's just step back and let somebody else take that on. So then, I'm surprised that I'm surprised that they're 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 entertaining the idea because as you say they've got 140,000 not all Sheffield United fans I'm sure um, have signed this petition to say that he shouldn't be allowed to. Well, it's a petition. It's not law. He's he's perfectly allowed by law to resume. Um, a career in football, but um, it, it's just a it's just a, um, it's a very emotive subject because of what it is in particular. Yeah, but if you're so, a League Two club and he's going to get you 25 goals a season, 
Yeah, and that's that. That then comes down to well, where does where does the moral fiber of football actually stand? There isn't one. Well, exactly, and that's why, <laughs> and that's and that's why whether it's Sheffield United or in the case of uh, Lee Hughes, it was Notts County. In the case of um, uh, Luke McCormack, I think he ended back up at Plymouth. Somebody will take him on, you know. Uh, yeah, the way modern football is, I think there is always going to be someone who is desperate enough to take someone like that on. And I yeah. think that's really sad, but I think it's completely true. Mm. Should we lighten things up a bit? We've had ethnic cleansing and <laughs> and, and um, rape. Should we talk about something a bit brighter? Lionel, Me- Lionel Messi, 10 years ago tonight, this is Thursday we're recording this, made his debut. 284 games and 249 goals later, he's, you can argue he's left his mark a little bit. Anyone got a favourite Messi moment? Not that's Messi the footballer. <laughs> um, I think uh, there's there's one goal. I mean, he was right from the start. I, I used to watch Spanish football a lot back in about ten years ago, so I, I, I saw him very very early on and realised that he was better than than somebody like Bojan who came along at roughly the same time. There was a big difference, even though they both came out with the same reputation. But I think there was a goal. I can't remember who it was against. It was a league game, probably about two or three years into his career, where he he basically it was like a Maradona versus England goal, but better. You know, he dribbled it from inside his own half, round about seven opposition players, and then did a you know a, a superb finish. And I think that was the moment that you realised that he he was going to be, if not the greatest, one of the two or three greatest players has ever been. I think mine was the 2011 Champions League final. I think it's um, kind of similar to yours. He picks the ball up. This is at the Bernabeu as well. So he picks the ball up and he dribbles past two, three, four players. Wrong foot's Casillas. And then Peter Drew was commentating at the time. And uh, after he scores, he just says, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And he says, just how good is he? As if he couldn't quite believe himself. What about you, Emma? Any favourite Messi moments? I don't know if you. I can pick one because, like you said, there's so there's just so many. It's not fair that one person can be so talented. It's true. That is true. It's not fair at all. <laughs> and it's. I just. I like him. I like the way he makes everything look so easy. And it's nothing is too hard. Nothing's too much hassle. It just, you know it just happens. Does it not make you a little bit sick? Yes, because I just don't think it's fair. (laughs) You know, know, I think what enhances his greatness is that can you really say anything bad about him? You know, he's not not a diver or not renowned for diving. He's not uh, an egomaniac like Ronaldo. He's not a cheat like Maradona. He's not something like somebody else. You can't really pick a personality or a a fault with him or, or a fault that he does with his game. And that kind of, you know, as much as Ronaldo is like a machine, he's a great player and everything else. I I can never felt like you, I can warm to Ronaldo. Whereas Messi, you know, you you kind of if he scored a hat trick against your team, you wouldn't really mind. No, that's how that's that, I think that's a measure of greatness as well. Mm. He makes some dodgy fashion choices though. <laughs> yes, he does, doesn't well, he? Don't we all? <laughs> yeah, we're here looking at your Skype profile. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, other news, William Gallas has retired. Um, he's not had a club since the last year or so, but uh, he's finally hung up his boots, called it a day, uh, 87 French caps later, and uh, 
hundreds and hundreds of club appearances. Neil Lennon is the new Bolton manager. Did anybody see this? It's a bit of a surprise, that one. I thought it was a bit of a surprise. But on the first day, he made all the players remove their hats um, in some kind of, you've got a man-up gesture. So all the players moved their hats and put them on the ground. He promptly picked one up and stuck it on his head to keep warm. Hmm. So, I, I, just think, I think that surely there's been a, a better opportunity for Neil Lennon to get into an English club than Bolton, who were something like 150 or 60 million pounds in debt going nowhere in the championship. Well, maybe he's hold out for something that's not actually arrived. Well, the Palace job was available. Yeah. I'd be surprised if, if Warnock would have been further up the list than Neil Lennon for the Crystal Palace job. Yeah. Uh, in other news as well, Algeria and the Cape Verde Islands have become the first teams to qualify for the African Nations Cup in Morocco starting in January. So keep your eye out for that one. Um, Morocco, I think it, they are... Um, probably That's probably not going to be there. I did think that as I read it out. I'm sure there's stuff going on in North Africa and the Middle East at the moment. Yeah. The okay. reason why, uh, I'm not sure. I don't know if it's Ebola or, or Is what. There a but, yeah. hmm? Is there a backup option yet? Um, I Syria. think they might be looking at somewhere like Ghana or South Africa as a replacement. As far away from Ebola as they can get them. Well, Ghana is West Africa. You know, that's is... not... It's not a it's not a germs jump away from Sierra Leone and so on. <laughs> right, we move on now to our Premier League predictions. Uh, this is every week we um, go through the forthcoming Premier League fixtures, and what we do is we predict whether it'll be a win, loss, or a draw for a particular team. Uh, Emma is currently ahead by how many points? I don't know because I've lost a piece of paper. Uh, I'm sure she's ahead by a couple of points, and is surprisingly of taking an interest this year. Um. <laughs> First game, the early kickoff is Man City versus Tottenham. I think this has got Man City written all over it. I would have to agree. Vilnius, are you there? New <laughs> uh, <nul> point. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think Man City are going to be too good. I mean, not just Tottenham, um, but uh, the whole Premier League for me so far has been difficult to predict. But Tottenham fall right into that bracket. I don't know what to make of them just yet, so go for the safe option and choose to see. Tottenham seem to be crap, but they're somehow sixth. Yeah, they've done nothing as far as I've seen so far this season. But as you said, they are in a very respectable position after the first, you know, 20% of the league fixtures. Mm. Uh, Arsenal Hull. Somebody going to stick their neck out and say Hull or a draw? Mm. No, well, well, have Arsenal got quite a few injuries at the moment? I think Ozil's injured. No, Ramsey, Wiltshire's injured, I think. Mm. But you'd still think they've got enough to beat Hull at home anyway. No Bentner this season? Oh, well, <laughs> that, that, that's, the, that's the crucial blow. <laughs> uh, you're going to go for Arsenal, are you? Yeah. Emma, what are you going to go for? I'm going to play it safe as well and go for Arsenal, I think. Yeah, me too. This could be an interesting one. Burnley, West Ham. But, well, again, West, West Ham, I've seen West Ham a couple of times this season and another team who who were who just one thing one week and something else the next. Well, and I think Burnley have got to take an opportunity against a team like West Ham to get their first win. 
But I don't know. I just I just can't see it. I think West Ham might win. West Ham is seventh. They're ahead of Arsenal and Liverpool, and they're only a point behind Tottenham and Man United. Yeah, I think I'll go for West Ham. Yeah. What about you, Emma? I'm gonna go for West Ham as well. Are you? Mm. Well, I'm gonna go for Burnley then. But you know, last season we were talking about uh, the scariest managers in the Premier League. Is mm. this not a fixture you would avoid at all costs? They probably look like the two worst ones. <laughs> I don't know. Sean Dyche. Well, Sean Dyche, yeah. West Ham. Um, Big Sam, I think, is just he's just Big... bluster. <laughs> I can think of it like two or three. I think who could take Big Sam on. Sean Dyche <laughs> being one of them. <laughs> I was very disappointed there was no touchline spat between him and Mourinho at the start of the season. I was really looking forward to that. Don't be able to understand each other, would they? <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> an angry Sean Dyche I don't know that's not a good thing uh, well speaking of Mourinho it's Crystal Palace Chelsea now Chelsea lost here last season didn't they to a John Terry goal mm, they seem a different Chelsea this this time this season as they were at that point last season they do it seems like a relentless march doesn't it yeah it's got that look about it already uh, Chelsea yeah me yeah. too yeah. I can't see them slipping up here. No. I can't like Costa. I mean, I thought I'd dislike Costa this year. I thought he might struggle or something. But he's absolutely settled in. The one thing he's not done, he's not particularly reacted to any um, provocation, is he? Which is what people thought he would do. He's an, he's an adjutant. Um, and he's good at getting up the nose of opposition players, but not reacting if, if there's any kind of retaliation or... or anything meted out in his direction and that just shows you that you know he's probably got that a lot when he was in Spain um, and also the type of player is he is that he knows that you know he's better on the field than he is off it and he, he's basically everything that Torres wasn't mm. for Chelsea and that's exactly what they needed you can imagine it being an absolute nightmare to Mark can't you yeah yeah if you're going to give out to him off the ball as well I think he's more than likely to give you enough back as well and oh. I think that the reaction from him is, I think that says a lot about the two managers as well. I mean, if you're going to, you know, be told to shut up and get on with it, it's more likely going to be from Mourinho than from Simeone. You kind of think Simeone would be one of those, almost one of those parents that says, like, if that kid punches you, then you punch him back twice as hard. <laughs> Whereas Mourinho, I think, is obviously a lot more calculated than that. Mm. I can imagine Simeone punching the kid back himself, but Mourinho, <laughs> <laughs> Mourinho may be paying somebody else to do it or something. Uh, Everton, Aston Villa. This is quite a difficult one to call, isn't it? Villa, have, um, they've fell off a bit lately, haven't they? After their food poisoning. Yeah, they've got those problems. I think they had a, a, an attractive-looking opening first three or four games, and then they've been lumbered with the big clubs, um, you know, straight off. You know, all off off the belt. The problem, normally you would say Everton would win this at a canter, but Everton, first of all, aren't playing well, conceding a lot of goals, not playing well, and also bottom. have got plenty of injuries. Your fourth bottom as well. Yeah, plenty of injuries, not playing well. Although we should have more, we should have more points than what we've got, but even they would have been scraped points. They haven't been points that we've, you know, um, we didn't, we we got a point at Liverpool with a with a wonder goal in the last minute. 
we could have got a point at Man, Man United. We just didn't for, we didn't force it the way we would have forced it last season. We're just not playing well. You know, we're going through a spell like that. We we don't have Barkley. We might not have McCarthy. We probably won't have Coleman, which has been a huge miss. Uh, Stones is out, out till after Christmas. You know, there's rumours that Distan fell out with Martinez and and sodded off from from training for for a week. So it it's not everything's not rosy at Everton at the minute. Hopefully, the international break might have helped, but you know most of the players have been away. However, I'm not confident, and I don't think we'll lose, but I'm not confident we'll win. So I'm going to play safe and go for a draw. I'm going to go for a draw as well. What about you, Emma? I'm going to go for Villa. Are you? Yeah, Mark just sold it to me. <laughs> it would. Do you know what? It, it wouldn't be a shock. I know Villa aren't, Villa aren't special. There's nothing great about Villa. But Everton are just playing so poorly, especially at the back, that it wouldn't be a shock if Villa won. And if Agbon Lahore plays, if he's fit, he always causes Everton trouble. I think, and I don't mean this in any disrespect, Everton are one of those teams that, when they're fully fit, they are a great team. But when they're not, realistically, are Villa better than sort of half their reserves, half their first team? I would say probably yes. Okay. Um, Newcastle, Leicester. I got. I'm going to have a draw in this one. Yeah, I think it's got draw written all over it. Yeah. I'm. I'm going to. I'm going to be a bit more bold, and I'm going to go for Leicester. I, I know Newcastle have um, scrapped hard and got a few draws lately, but Leicester just look very solid, and they've got a good couple of goal scoring options. So, I think that might tip it in Leicester's favour. Bit of a, might be a bit. You might consider it a shock, but I think it's two quite evenly matched teams. Mm. Uh, Southampton Sunderland, the stripy derby. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? The both one week they just played in their red and white stripes against each other. Just means that Southampton is going to be a complete wash of red and white stripes on Saturday, rather than the normal few scattered about. That's um, League Two's Emma Webster there. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? It pains me, but Saints don't look like a team that are going to let you down. You're going for Southampton win? Yes. Sorry, say that again. No. <laughs> <laughs> Okie dokie. Um, Mark, what are you going for? You're... Actually, this is a derby between you two almost, isn't it? Is this as close as we get? <laughs> uh, yeah, Sunderland's about 20 miles from me. Come on, are you going to cheer for your boys? Um, again, they're a funny team, aren't they, Sunderland? Southampton have started well. You expect that at some point they're going to have to have a bit of a dip. But I, I, I don't know. I can't see it being against Sunderland. I think they'll win. Southampton. I think it'll be Southampton. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, QPR Liverpool. Now I'm one of those odd people that supports two teams, and this is both of my teams playing each other. So I'm going to go for a draw. It's very difficult <laughs> choosing between your children. I think I'm going to go for Liverpool. I know which my favourite child is. <laughs> <laughs> well. Um. Liverpool aren't playing well either, but I just think QPR are pretty awful. Yeah. So for that reason, I'll pick Liverpool. Fair enough. Stoke Swansea. I'm going to go for Stoke. I want Bojan to come good. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to go for a Stoke win as well. Just uh, I'll say a draw. Go for a draw. Right, and lastly, we've got uh, on Monday night, we've got West Brom Man United. Is it going to be five all again? Let's hope so. Yeah. West Brom are now 14th. They're not doing so bad. 
Yeah. Um, I've seen Man United a couple of times this season, and obviously I watched them closely when they played Everton a couple of weeks back. And, yeah, they might have all this attacking talent on the field, but they did. They weren't really that impressive. I don't think they were. They were average, and they still, they're still not great at the back, and they're still not proper, a properly balanced team. And they are going to drop points often in games like this. I think this season. Um, I don't think. I don't think Van Persie's the player he was a couple of years ago. I think. I think it's pretty obvious Wayne Rooney isn't the player he was. None of us are the men we were. No, um, Matter doesn't hasn't yet kind of plugged his position in that team. Di Maria's looking fantastic. It looks like he's hit the ground running. So what do you reckon? But I, I think there's I think there's hope for West Brom in this game. So I might go for a sneaky draw. A sneaky draw. Right. A okay. Sneaky draw. Never. I'm. I think I'm still going to go for United. I am as well. I think no Rooney means that they can play Matter uh, in the hole along with um, Falcao and uh, Van Persie up front. So I think it kind of plays into their hands a little bit, no Rooney. So I'm going to go for Man United as well. So there we go. Right, that's our predictions. Um, let's see how well we get on next week and whether Emma can maintain her tremendous start to the season. <laughs> or whether usual service will resume and Mark will, um, I was going to say, come from behind. That's not quite what I meant, but... You know what I mean? Now, now. I told you before about this carry-on carry on stuff. I was talking to my wife earlier. That's where I got it from. Um, and that is the end for this podcast. Has anybody got anything they'd like to plug or um, anything they'd like to mention at all? Any other business? Nope. No. Mark, anything in Lithuania? No, not this week. Not this week. Maybe in a couple of weeks' time. Oh, well, keep your eyes peeled for that one then, listeners. Um, well, thank you ever so much for coming on, guys. If they want to follow you, Mark, they follow you at? Uh, at the Football Pink. And Emma? At MWebs. At MWebs. Don't remember, forget you've got Ross and uh, the guys on Sunday night. They'll be talking through what we just predicted uh, and hopefully saying how fantastically we've all done with our predictions. That'll be available to download on Monday. This will be available to download over the weekend. If you like what you hear, then please go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Each five-star review is very much appreciated. There's new articles going up on manonthepost.com thick and fast and all the while, so please also keep visiting the website as well. Um, There's also some interesting stuff coming up on there all the while. So all that remains to be said is thank you ever so much, guys, and always remember to keep your man on the post. (laughs)